On today's episode of Come Pray With Me, I will be talking to Jonathan Duvall from the Ruist Association of America. Ruism is a religion that originated in China and has existed for thousands of years. Many know it as Confucianism, but this is not an accurate term. It has existed long before Confucius was born and continues to thrive long after his passing. We will be discussing how the role of women in Ruism has changed over the years, meditation, and adapting holidays in the time of the coronavirus. Hello. Welcome to the show, Mr. Duval. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> so my first question is, harmony is a crucial goal for Ruists, and one of the many ways this is achieved is through benevolent relationships with others. Now, in Ruism, there are five major relationships that are listed, as well as codes of conduct for how people should behave. What are they and what do they mean to you as a Ruist? So the five relationships you mentioned are, uh, and these are hierarchical. So one is uh, listed as superior and one inferior. So they are uh, father and son, ruler and subject, friend and friend, which is one of the ones that kind of are equal, unequal standing, but I'll explain a bit. Um, husband, wife, and older sibling and younger sibling. And each one of these are important because how integral they are to all of our lives and how we all kind of live day to day. We all are a son or daughter to a father or mother. We're all a subject to a ruler. We have friends. Uh, hopefully we all have someone in our lives we can have a relationship with, like husband, wife. Um, most of us have siblings. So these are all things that all of us can kind of relate to and they all work to help better us. And the hierarchical bit is mostly that each have responsibilities to the other. A father has a responsibility to raise the son and the son has the responsibility to the father in certain aspects. So these are all, I see them as very important in when it comes to cultivating the self and learning how I fit in each one of these relationships. Friend of friend to me is especially interesting because it's the one that is seen on almost an equal ground where each has a responsibility to the other equally. Although some will say, well, older friend should teach the younger friend a little bit more than the younger that the older, because the older friend is, has lived longer and maybe knows a little bit more. But each one of the five relationships, there are reciprocal responsibilities that both owe to the other. And it's not the, the, the biggest problem with talking about it is that it's not seen as the inferior are worse off or lesser than the superior. It's just that's kind of just how it's named. I know for me, I don't feel inferior to some of my friends or superior to any other, but for some, I definitely notice that uh, they know more than me on certain aspects of life that I go to them for, and they know, I know more in some aspects than them. So with each of these relationships, they're the codes of conduct, the way you're supposed to act is supposed to facilitate growth for both people. I uh, know the, the biggest one I always touch on people, father and son, you know, it's, it's hard to be a good father if you don't have a son who's receptive and, and able to be able to communicate and, and it's hard to explain, especially with my own relationship. I usually, that's the example I give is that, um, my father and I have a pretty good relationship and that's grown over time because I've learned to become more open to learning and being taught and being talked to about certain things. So, um, 
all these relationships and their conducts are important in their own way. Uh, it all depends on the situation also. So. Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting. I can see what you're getting at. So it's not necessarily that one is inferior to the other. It's more that it's the responsibility of the other one to set a good example and to try and share their knowledge with the other. Would you say that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's all about teaching, really. Each relationship that you have something you can learn from the other. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm trying to think. Uh, no, it's okay. Take your time. <laughs> I think I get what you're saying. I just thought that was important to mention because a lot of people, they see like the husband and wife thing and they think that that inherently means that women are inferior, but that's not true. There's a lot of women that attend Ruiz schools yeah. and have positions for their teachers now. So it's more or less like they learn from each other. Because we that's, can learn from everyone. That's definitely one that, uh, a subject that's difficult to talk to, especially now. But mm -hmm. if you look at that, how it's taught, that relationship, it's through all of them, it's the inferior and superior aspects. It's not uh, a, a value distinction. So it's not saying one has more value than the other. It's just showing that one may have more knowledge than the other. And with husband and wife, I've talked to with some people about that. I think it should be kind of equal standing, but even if it isn't, it's not saying that, you know, a wife is less important because throughout all Confucian history, wives play an important role and they are like a staple in the family, just as much as the father is, you know, without a mother, it's, it's a loss for the family, just as much as without a father. I think, especially if you look at uh, Mencius, uh, a Confucian sage, uh, almost on par with Confucius himself, he, the story of his mother is one that's taught a lot as being an example of a great, you know, Confucian mom doing her best for her son in bad times and in rough, rough times. So it, I think the importance of showing that these things aren't value statements. You're not saying that women or, you know, your younger sibling or the subjects are not as, you know, important as the ruler. I, I think it's an important distinction to make, but yeah, it's good that you point that out because I don't think many, many people just say inferior, superior, and then just go off that. Yeah, I feel like that's an important distinction to make. And then that's also a misconception since a lot of people don't quite understand what that means. And obviously, Ruism has changed a lot over the years. So some things that would have been commonplace aren't really practiced anymore. Like, I believe there used to be one rule about men and women having to walk on different sides of the, the road. Yeah, that I'm mistaken, but you know, no yeah. one implements that anymore. And then, like I mentioned, there's a lot of women in Ruist schools and women that are teachers and that are major figures in ruinous societies and associations so like I said all that's changed over the years but then also ruism that quote doesn't necessarily mean women aren't here just like you said everyone has something that they bring to the table and everyone has 
something important. Yeah, it definitely, especially if you look throughout history of the ruism and the role the roles women have played. It's very interesting. Uh, a book I'd recommend uh, for your viewers and you, uh, Confucianism, a short introduction, I want to say by John Berthrong. Uh, he mentions about the role women have played throughout Confucianism and how interesting to me the, the, the importance of poetry and literature in Confucianism and writing has been like a staple almost like a bunch of things in Confucianism, but women have played an amazing role in, in writing throughout history, poetry specifically. So it's, and it's, <laughs> excuse me, it's just interesting how that's changed over time from the beginnings where women did have to walk separately from men into where now, yeah, they are just a, as much an important part to become teachers and anything really. Yes, and then they're also a major part of some of the coming of age rituals in Ruism. Like, I believe it's called, um, is it ca the capping or pinning ceremony? So both uh, men and women go through that um, coming of age ritual yeah the capping yeah where you become an adult and a, you know it, yeah that's a good example of where it's equal so my next question is ren and lee are important concepts to ruis and that affects their actions and words. What does that mean to you and how would you use that in your everyday life? This one, uh, this question specifically, it's become more paramount to me recently as I've started working in the service industry. Ren and Lee, Ren meaning humanness and Lee meaning proper right. I noticed that as I work and as I go out into the world and interact with more people, uh, I see examples of where kindness and altruism, which is usually what Ren is associated with humanness or altruistic uh, actions and lead the proper right as in the proper way of con conducting yourself, working with other people and seeing how other people act, you really notice the distinction between good and bad actions and how people should act in, in the proper way, treating others. And then the more I get out, the more I see the, the bad way, the, the easy way you could slip in and lose Ren and humanness with someone else just for convenience or whatever reason you give. Um, I see Ren and Lee as important as keeping me in check and keeping how I treat others in the proper context and how I do it. Um, one of the examples I give, a good example of Ren and Lee and a bad example of Ren and Lee is... Uh, I work at a tractor supply. We supply products for farmers. Uh, a man came in not too long ago wanting to return some shoes. He was an older gentleman and he didn't bring his shoes in with him. He didn't bring a receipt. He basically just wanted a new pair of shoes. And he was holding up the line. I helped him. I assisted. I told him, you know, bring your shoes, bring a receipt, come back and I will help you. And when he left, uh, a lot of the people in line just started and you can hear whispers of them going, you know, I can't, can't fix stupid, such a stupid old man and all these things. And I'm dumbfounded sitting there thinking, 
this you know this man cannot help that he he does not know what he does not know what are we what am i supposed to do you know it just shocked me that people so easily give up niceness altruism good good treatment of others for convenience they were inconvenienced by waiting a few more minutes and it it surprised me and i thought to myself after this is a good example of what not to do patience is a virtue and how some people easily can give up the altruistic nature that they might have or altruistic way they might usually go about things for just a little convenience and it, it definitely keeping these in mind when i go out and i interact with the world it's it ever looks makes me look at myself and what i do and maybe ways i can improve how i treat others and how i think of others and the way i act not just also in public but also in private with friends and family so the two very important virtues that I, they're out of the constant virtues those two definitely when interacting with others are helpful to keep in mind i agree completely and not to undermine what you're saying but that sort of reminds me of what the internet dubbed the karen oh yes phenomena <laughs> can i speak to your manager you know like that sort of attitude people get where they feel like they're entitled to a certain sort of treatment and they think oh i can treat people however i want to because uh they see people as being inferior to them like they're in a position of servicing someone like for example at that shop you were servicing that old man that wanted to return the shoes despite not having any shoes or any receipts and then everyone else just gets upset with you both because they feel a sort of sense of entitlement too definitely with internet things and like the karen uh thing that's been coming out i think taking a good ruist look at it it's 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 sad how people have gotten that kind of attitude and not really realized the it, it's so weird that almost I almost say dehumanizing with some people how they treat service uh, workers people who work for a living and who help I mean basic stuff like serving you food and how they forget that these are also people just like you who are doing their job and it's funny you bring up Karen because that's that's come up a few times. So as soon as I entered the service industry, uh, that's something I've encountered a lot, and it's very interesting because I thought that it doesn't happen that often. But throughout a month, I'll probably see five or six people that that have that kind of attitude about them, and it definitely makes me appreciate how I'm treated by other customers better a lot more, and also definitely makes me look inward and go, okay, well, how do I treat other service people? or people in the service industry? How do I treat, you know, restaurant workers or people work at uh, retail jobs? So, yeah, <laughs> definitely an eye opener. That's a good point. And I really appreciate your analogy. That's a really creative and very timely way to look at that. And I feel like that balance between the rent and the lead is something that our society really needs. So for my next question, uh, Major Ruiz Holiday is the Tomb Sweeping Festival, which was 
recently celebrated. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it basically involves going to the burial sites for ancestors and cleaning up these sites and leaving some offerings. However, due to COVID-19, many had to look to different ways to adapt to the festival since you can't have these large meetings like you'd have anymore. You have to distance people and then people should generally not be going out too much unless they absolutely have to. So how have you adapted some of your Ruist practices with the new regulations in place? Luckily for me, or actually unluckily for me, I, I was not able to do anything for the tomb sweeping day. Um, but adapting it to these new regulations, I don't think would be too hard, especially for, for me personally, at least, because I usually for tomb sweeping day, I will go to my grandfather's grave by myself. I don't really take anyone with me. It's more of a one-on-one -on -one thing. Usually you would, it would be a gathering of family members, but for me personally, I take my, I just me, myself and I, I go to the grave and clean it off. Um, light incense and it's not just leaving an offering it's the the tomb sweeping day ritual is that i find it very therapeutic almost it's a really interesting uh celebration of the person you're going there to venerate uh last time i went last year i cleaned off the grave i lit incense i believe i brought flowers and i spoke to my grandfather as he was there you know it's if you look in the uh in confucian texts you see kind of invoking the spirits i would i sat there and talked to him you know updated him on how family life's going about how mom and dad are and all that kind of stuff and it's more th it's very therapeutic to speak as though your family member is there and you know kind of release some of the big stress that you've had over their passing although my grandfather's long left this world but it's it's not too hard to do with covid if you're going by yourself but i would see a difficulty with someone going as a family but for me i would just i go by myself every year and it's it's not too bad i think i won't be affected this year if i uh if i go and do it again that's a really beautiful story and that's really sweet how even after all these years, you're still visiting him and you're still honoring his spirit. And then you still have this relationship with him. You know, you talked about updating him on everything that's going on in your life. And it almost seems as though even though he's not here in the physical form, he's still here in a sort of spiritual form, almost like your relationship with him never stopped, even though he passed away. Definitely, that's what that's what the, the goal of the ritual is. It's not just, I think Ruism in some ways gets a rap for being just empty practices of rituals for the sake of rituals. But with tomb sweeping specifically, it's a good example for me is it, it serves a really important purpose for, for people. For me specifically uh, with my grandfather going to that specific site, I had a very close relationship with him and it feels like, yeah, I'm keeping that relationship alive. Although I don't go as often as I should, um, I still do try to go every year or every few months when I can. Uh, with school, it makes it harder, but it, it does keep that relationship alive. And it, it's, like I said, very therapeutic to sit there and talk to him as if he was there. You know, it's, 
definitely helpful. But yeah, it's it's keeping that relationship alive. It's a very good way to put it. You said. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I noticed that a lot of other cultures and faiths have some form of their own sort of sweeping day. Like in uh, Mexico, there's Day of the Dead where they do a lot of the same things, like cleaning the graves and leaving offerings and having picnics there with their loved ones. Or in Taoism, there's um, the Festival of the Hungry Ghosts where they do pretty much the same thing as the tomb sweeping day so there's something about this practice that really resonates with people i myself am irish american and one of uh, our traditions from the old country as they called it is a dumb supper where basically you set out a little uh little meal by a gravesite, and it's sort of like you're eating with your loved ones who've passed on. So there's really something about this practice that's resonated with people since throughout the world and throughout history, all these different people practiced it in some form or another. Yeah, I definitely think with bringing Ruism to America, which is an interesting way of putting it, I know, but bringing this tradition from the East to the West, I feel like there are some things that will have to either change or be modified to fit a more Western style uh, way of rituals and way of talking and, and certain things that might have to change. But I feel like Tomb Sweeping Day and the things that come along with it, I feel should be should be something we'll keep because it is it's not that foreign thing to the West or to the United States since there are some people here still practice those kinds of rituals. I know personally, my family, very Christian. Uh, my family is very Christian, and even they will still every year visit their parents' graves or their grandparents' graves and, and do similar things, just not as uh, structured is all. So I feel like it's it's gonna pick up with Bruce here with the uh, tomb sweeping day as a normal ritual as it is. <laughs> I agree, and I think that's very fascinating now on the topic of ancestors a lot of different texts out there describe ruists as practicing ancestor worship would you say that's an accurate description to what ruists do and what roles do ancestors play in ruism i feel worship and I actually looked this up earlier today because i wanted to know well what is technically the definition of worship here and it's it's kind of the same as what the word I'd use except minus supernatural is a uh, veneration. We look to venerate our ancestors, not really worship them. Worship kind of describes a supernatural, almost deity-like uh, veneration of something, an ultra respect to something that is, you know, outside the material. But with veneration, we're really, we're giving our respects to our past our personal past, which being, you know, our family members, our, you know, ancestors. Um, I know from most people that I've talked to when it comes to ancestor veneration, it's respecting what's come before you, what's led you to where you are, the people who helped, you know, give you life and give your, you know, family life. 
for me, I'm still working on trying to build my family tree and understand my roots and give veneration to my ancestors because I understand the giant, enormous gift they've kind of given me by living and living the lives that they did. So I would not say Ruism, we worship our ancestors, we venerate them, we give them high amounts of respect because of what they've done for us. Um, I think that most people would do good to, and, and kind of the Bruce position, it would do good to uh, understand their uh, ancestors and understand what sacrifices have been made to get them to where they are, all of us. I think as all of us owe a little bit of debt to our past and our uh, ancestors. So I wouldn't say worship more, a very high amount of respect. I absolutely agree with you on that. And I feel like we can learn so much from our past. And even though these things that might have happened many, many years ago might seem like they're very far removed from how we live now, there's always ways we can learn from them. And in some ways, they can even help us prepare for things in the future. So in the Book of Ritual, which is an important sacred text for Ruists, there is a mention of an ideal and utopian society known as Datong, or in English, the Great Unity. What is your idea of Datong, and what actions would people have to take to make it a reality? So I was actually unfamiliar with this specific term uh, until recently, and it's, I would give your audience a comparison. If any of them, if anyone has read The Republic by Plato, it's similar to the idea of uh, the perfect city, the utopian city. It's what is the perfect ideal that we can look to? And that kind of society is uh, a, a well-run government, a well-educated uh, and well, uh, basically a society that would, uh, goodness, what's the word I'm looking for? Excuse me. Um, resemble the, ex, I'm trying to think of a good word, extolled basically the virtues, the, the constant virtues of Ruism, Ren, Lee, and uh, you know, justice, all these important virtues that we would see it in society, we would see it reflected in the people, but also we would see it reflected in the government, which is a big change from what we're used to seeing, which is bad government or evil government. So I think Datong, the great unity is a, it's a harmony, not only between people, but also between uh, government and people. So between ourselves and who rules us. Um, I think if you look up the description of what it, it resembles, it's perfect society where we take care of each other, you know, sons, take care of their fathers, fathers take care of their sons. We all take care of the elderly, those who can't help themselves. Um, the government is ruled by virtuous people who are models to citizens. Things I think all of us can agree on. How to make that a reality, uh, I've pondered that question a lot of my life of how can we make this great idea a reality? Yeah, Most people, not an easy question. It's not, I think people it's have been talking. dollar question. <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, Plato came up with his own idea and it, it was complex and a little bit crazy. So uh, I, the only way I could think is first changing people. So helping build a base of good, virtuous people who might be ready to rule. Uh, 
who have the virtues that we would consider essential to someone who's going to rule over others and then electing that person and starting local and then going up. I think any good choosing should happen very locally, like in a town. And then just like any other office, you know, you go from your local mayor to sooner or later they become senator or something. So to make that a reality, at least in the United States, which I've thought about many times, I think good ruist men and women should be pushed to public service because in ruism, the idea is that you would become a good person to then one day become a good government official so that you can help others and help rule virtuously. So I think I've talked with other ruists about this. I think just many years from now, we're going to have to find some people who are virtuous enough to rule and actually push them to do so. I mean, I think Confucius pushed many of his students to, you know, learn, but also sooner or later serve, you know, that's the ultimate goal is to be good enough to serve the public and help the public. So. Yeah, I agree with you. And I've always really admired how, uh, Ruists are very involved with their community and that they have this extremely strong sense of duty to serve others and to give back and to do what they can to try to make the world around them a better and more harmonious place. I think if you look in what it takes to cultivate the person, with Ruism, it's the main goal is to cultivate the self. It, I think I always remember the steps. It's you start with your, your mind and your heart. You get those things corrected on virtue. And then it goes to, you know, your family and your friends. And then it's an inward outward model where you renovate yourself and you work on yourself to then hopefully help others do the same. And it slowly grows outwards to your community, you know, your town and sooner or later the world because, you know, good people have an amazing effect on others virtuous people. I mean, I've seen it personally in my life. Some people I'm shocked they haven't done more in the world because how just virtuous they are. Oh, excuse me. Um, it's an inward outward way of cultivation. And I think the ultimate goal is getting this. It, it's good to focus on the community. I'm glad you brought that up because I think sometimes my head gets a little bit more focused on the world and the country, but even a small city could be changed by good people um, connecting with others and working together towards a virtuous goal of some sort. Yeah, I agree. And I've said this before on my show, but I really believe that it starts with a small set of good actions and that the more good you do, the more good you spread and you help make the world a better place. So my next question is, um, what is a Tian and what does that mean to you as a Ruist? Sorry if I mispronounced that. No, you're right, it's Tian. Uh, Tian is usually translated as heaven, which is a good translation, but usually gives people the wrong idea that we're talking about the afterlife. I personally, as I understand it, see Tian as fate, as it also has been described as nature, as the world around us. Um, 
when Confucius spoke of it, it was somewhat of fate, but also, yes, it was very much nature and the natural way of things. Tian is, easiest way to describe it is the force we don't see in the world. I sometimes compare it to the Tao in Taoism, the way, but it's hard to pinpoint because as a Ruist, I don't, <laughs> it's very interesting when you look into Ruist origins because it's very secular in a lot of ways and very not in others. Confucius has said a few times that, you know, the serve the spirits as if they were there, but under, kind of understand they're not. And also at the same time saying that it's okay for people to worship spirits. So it's, it's very, is Tian a real tangible or not an intangible force that works on the world? Or is it just another word for nature? I've been always split myself personally. I see it as fate. And if I go against fate, you know, bad things will happen. So I see it as just a natural occurrence. If I act virtuously, work towards cultivation, fate will be on my side. But if I go against that and I do things that maybe go against what is virtuous, then fate will not be on my side. That's the way I see Tian. Um, yeah, it's usually translated as heaven and is seen kind of as nature, as something that's all around us. I see, and then that also sort of reads to um, Tian Ming, which is the heavenly mandate, which is more on the political side of Ruism, since that focuses on how a leader should behave. Yeah, uh, the mandate of heaven, basically, if the virtuous ruler acts virtuously, they will keep their rule, they will keep the order of the people, they will have their job, basically. And if they don't, if they lose the way, then they will be, you know, cast out, they will lose the mandate. So it's interesting you bring that up, because not many people um, bring up that term mandate of heaven. <laughs> I mean, I just thought it's really interesting. And then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Ruists are a lot more politically active than some of the other faiths out there. And then that's directly coming from their faith. Like that's a core part of what they believe. Yeah, because Ruism really deals heavily with politics because they believe that the best way to have a good society is to have good rulers, and which means you got to work to get those rulers. Um, I think most Ruists I know are very politically active because they understand that choosing a good ruler makes or breaks a society, and that choosing a moral, mainly a moral, that's the, the biggest thing I've noticed is that there's diverse opinions on who should rule this country, but a lot of it's based on their virtues and less on how much you may agree with them or disagree with them. I know personally, my voting style has mainly been, who do I think is more virtuous? So I've had that kind of in the, always in the back of my mind is who do I trust? Not, not just who I trust more, but who I trust to do the right thing, not just what I like to be done. So yeah, I feel like Ruism is very, weave deeply into politics because they believe that the best way to live in have a good society is to have good people ruling said society. 
I agree, and I think that's a really uh, fascinating premise that you have there, and I feel like that these um, Gruist teachings are just as relevant now as they were, you know, several thousand years ago. Oh, definitely, especially today, as we feel, I, uh, I see it more and more where I feel morals are and virtues are not being exalted, I guess is a good, as a word, they're not as respected as they used to be. And I, and I mean, like, you know, back in my day, I'm, I'm 22. There's no back in my day, really. It's just looking back even uh, five to 10 years ago. Uh, I feel like things have slipped just a little bit. I, I don't feel like there's no hope. That's the thing definitely as a ruist. I always have um, an optimism that things will get better, but it will definitely take people and work and bringing up the right, you know, this kind of goes back to the beginnings of Ruism, bringing up the right family, you know, bringing up the next generation to be better than us and act more virtuously maybe than our generation did. And I definitely see that with how things are going right now, is that we need to raise up a better next generation for years to come. Yeah, I noticed that. And Ruists are very focused on the here and the now and what they can do in this moment. And that sort of contributes to the fact that Ruism doesn't really have a concrete afterlife belief. You're right, yeah. Um, that's a big thing that I've talked to other Ruists about is the after we are very focused on the now. And I think with a quiz we created uh, the organization early on, we wanted to ask what is Ruism right fit for you? Are you looking for something to learn and maybe change your life with? Is Ruism good fit for you? And one of the questions we asked was, you know, how important is an afterlife in heaven and, you know, these ideas of something after to you. And we still feel like, and I personally feel this, that if you're looking for an after and more after you die, I feel like Ruism's not that great a fit for you because our focus more is on what can we do today to improve lives for people now and improve, you know, people's situations the best we can because this is most likely all we have. There's no real Ruist after. There are things that you are supposed to do for those who have passed, you know, but there's no real idea that they're going to go to some better place once they pass. I think um, Confucius said it best. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to miss the quote just a little bit, but, you know, to wake up in the morning, follow the way and die in the afternoon, you know, isn't that, isn't that a pleasant thing to do? Just to wake up, follow the way, which is, you know, the ruest way and to die peacefully in the afternoon. I mean, there's, nothing wrong with that basically saying just living your life virtuously correctly and having it end it's okay you know i personally see no problem with after i've done my work being able to rest because <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done <laughs> yeah i definitely agree with you on that one <laughs> <laughs> So um, how does Ruist meditation differ from that of other religions like uh, Hinduism or Buddhism? 
So Ruiz meditation is focused on contemplation of an idea or a thing more than, as I understand it from my studies with Buddhism, it's you're trying to empty your mind and empty your thoughts, control that monkey brain of yours and calm it down. <laughs> but with Ruism, it's calming yourself to be able to contemplate things, uh, concepts, ideas, whatever you might like it to be. Um, quiet sitting is the name of the Ruist meditation uh, practice. You sit and you quiet your mind the best you can. You center yourself, you know, try and be in the moment and focus your thoughts on something. Now, for me, uh, my the biggest thing I like to contemplate on is problems. You sit here and you really focus on something that's bothering you, an issue, and you give your mind, you give yourself time to think about me, solutions, how do I feel about this, this, whatever the thing might be. Um, money is one that came up recently. It's just sitting there and thinking, you know, how am I going to save for this? Or what do I want when it comes to this thing, whatever I might want to buy? And just simply giving yourself time to contemplate problems or ideas, it, it's great <laughs> for me, at least my time of quiet sitting. You'd be surprised how different it feels just to sit and meditate on an issue or an idea and give yourself time to really fully flush it out, think it through. Um, so that's how we're uh, Ruse meditation is a little different than others because we're not looking to empty the mind and get rid of thoughts and ideas from your head and give yourself perfect quiet. It's more giving yourself time to contemplate big ideas or even little ideas and flush it out, you know, give it the full range it needs to go through your mind. So. I have to say I've practiced Druist meditation myself and I find it works out much better for me than the other forms for the very reasons you said, you're not trying to empty out your mind. You're actually trying to flush out your thoughts and your feelings on a particular issue and that's so much more helpful for me especially because my mind is like really noisy it's like a whole bunch of thoughts going on at once and if I try to just empty my mind that doesn't work that just turns the volume up a lot as I call it but with Ruist meditation, it's like I can focus on one particular thing that's bothering me. And then in a peaceful way, I can try and fix the problem and come to terms with what the problem is, what I can do about it, and how it makes me feel. I definitely agree. It's, oh my goodness, it, it's nice to hear that someone else has done this kind of meditation and shares the same reaction to it because early on when I did it I I was pensive about meditation I did not know too much about meditating in general but once I uh, tried quiet sitting I think definitely with something big that may be bothering you or something that maybe you just haven't had the time to really put much thought into I think quiet sitting definitely helps flush that out and I know early on when I tried it it definitely helped me get through some stuff because I was able to sit down and think on something and really give it the time it needed to come up with uh, either a solution or a way a better way of thinking about something but yeah it's glad to hear that you've tried it because not many people have the time to 
try something like Ruiz meditation. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like more people should try Ruiz meditation since uh, those different traditions like meditation and yoga are starting to catch on a lot more in other parts of the world. But then the meditation they practice is typically from Buddhist or Hinduist beliefs where the goal is more to empty the mind. And so a lot of people give up on meditation and they just say, oh, this just isn't for me. And my brain is all over the place, just, just like my brain is. So it wouldn't work out. But if they tried Ruist meditation, I think a lot more people would realize that meditation really is for everyone. It's just there's all these different forms of it. And for some people, if emptying their brain works for them and that helps them find peace and overcome problems, I think that's great. But for a lot of other people, it's just not feasible for them with the way their mind works or maybe their situation. So being able to be in a safe place and quietly and calmly meditate on an issue can be a lot more beneficial to them. Definitely. I think I've seen it. I've, I've seen it help people more than it's hurt trying meditation in different ways of, you know, focusing your energy on something like this. Did you have any prayers or um, texts you would like to share with our audience? There are no prayers I would give. Um, I think advice and uh, an analytics quote would be nice to give to your audience. I think first, Ruism is a very hard philosophy or religion, depending on how you define it, to get into because of how much study it takes. But I think anyone interested in learning starting the path to learning about this philosophy. Uh, I would start with a book called The Great Learning, which is one of the uh, classic Confucian texts. It's one that most we recommend to people to read to understand what Ruism is at its core, the, the way to practice Ruism. Um, I think anyone interested definitely look up The Great Learning. Uh, and I wanted to share a little Confucian quote. The first one I ever read uh, Analex 1-1, which Analex is the book of Confucius. Uh, it's his and the first one, I always believe it's a really good definition of what it's like to be a Ruist in a way. Uh, so Analex 1-1, Confucius said, isn't it satisfying to learn and apply what you've learned? Isn't it great when friends come from afar? If I'm not if I'm not bothered that people don't recognize me, isn't that a mark of a good person or a noble person? So learning, applying what you've learned, having friends come from afar and not being upset that people don't know who you are. All those things to me make a great first impression for Ruism, learning, applying, having, you know, having friends from afar and uh, not being bothered that people don't know you. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very beautiful quote. And I just loved how everything Confucius said has always told us, has always held some type of relevance even now. So was there anything else you would like to talk about on the show today? 
I could talk all day long about Ruism with you. Believe me, I love to. Um, I, I don't think so. I think I've got it. If you would like to have me back, I'd love to be back. Absolutely. You've been a total delight. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about Ruism and read some of Jonathan Duval's work, visit www.ruistassociation.org. Major texts of Ruism include the five classics and the four books. You can also contact our own Professor Bin Song at bsong2 at washcall.edu, who is himself part of the Ruist Association of America. He teaches several classes on Eastern philosophy that include Ruism, 